Hello and welcome to the ITM podcast. ITM is the Institute of Travel Management, the UK business travel industry's not-for-profit membership association. Uh, this episode is brought to you in partnership with Clarity Business Travel. Big thanks to our friends at Clarity to help us put this together. So each time I'm joined by an industry expert to help enlighten and inform us on topics that our members need to understand and optimise. And today I'm really pleased to be joined by Karen Hutchings, Global Head of Travel, Meetings and Events at EY and of course ITM Chair. Hi Karen. Hello. Nice to catch up with you. We've managed to track you down in the EY office. <laughs> I know. How cool is that? It's cool. It's a, a, we often record our podcasts here. Now, just exactly how much of the year do you spend travelling? Well, I don't actually spend very much time here, in fairness, in the office, so you're really lucky to get me here today. I'm here more than you, aren't I? I think you are, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's cheap rent, that's why. <laughs> um, yeah, so travelling, I probably spend around two weeks of the month on the road, as an estimate. That's abroad. And then I'll try and be in the office in London once or twice, one or two days a week as well when I'm not travelling. So pretty much out of a suitcase a lot of the time. WhatsApp's a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. That's how we keep in touch. It certainly is. So um, this podcast is really going to focus on the life of a, a travel manager, in your case, a global travel manager with a large programme. Um, so just to help us get up to speed, how did you get to this point in your career? Just walk us through your CV. Oh, God, I'm not, I'm not going to admit to how many years this goes back. But um, after studying um, languages is what I did, actually, in travel and tourism, um, I worked for an airline. So I worked for Swiss Air. And I was there, actually, for 13 years, which is the longest that I worked for any company. And I adored it there, I have to say. It was great grounding and service was huge for Swiss Air, actually. And so I think that's where the whole service mentality that I've got came from. After Swiss Air, I was fortunate enough to be approached and went to work for what was then BTI, Hog Robinson. And I worked for them for a, a few years, looking after a multitude of different clients um, in the business management function. After that, um, I went and actually worked for Merrill Lynch. And that's when really I started my foray into investment banking for a while. Um, I'd done a project actually at HRG previously in Hong Kong for Goldman Sachs. Um, then it was Merrill Lynch. Then I went to Citibank for a period of time because we know that things changed at Merrill Lynch fairly significantly. I was also fortunate as well that I lived in the US as well, working for them in a global role. And I think that was fairly unique, actually, in the fact that I was a Brit in a global role of a US investment bank, and I think that was quite a statement out there. And it was really after that that my career really took off. And so hence why I was approached about a role at Citibank. After that, though, many of the people I worked with actually at Merrill Lynch all went to AIG. And so then I moved to AIG. And there's a trend here that I've moved fairly significantly um, and a number of times. But Fast forward then to here, 2012 is when I joined EY and actually seven years on. So whether I beat that 13-year record, I'm not sure. Probably too old for that now. But um, yeah, seven years at EY now. So that is the, the career of Karen. Wow. It's quite a career. And you lived in New York, you said. You still know all the coolest places to go out in New York, right? I definitely know many cool places to go out in New York. <laughs> Email me because I don't think I should repeat some of the names of those places on this <laughs> podcast. Take care when you're out with Karen, people. Take care. Okay, so um, I'm thinking about from the supplier perspective, it can be hard to picture what a typical day, week, month in the life of a global travel leader is. They, they maybe get to see you in the meeting room or at an event. Can you help us understand what would be a typical 
week if there is such a thing and I know there isn't so I think you, you know it's a large team that I'm responsible for um, because I've got meetings and events as well as travel and also BMC procurement so we'll put that to the side um, but we actually run the service so we're running and delivering events and so we have a lot of people within our team that actually manage the events so certainly though for me in with such a large team I have actually nine direct reports and so a lot of my time each week is actually spent speaking to my direct reports an hour each just do the maths to know that that takes up over a day um, a week that I've got work to do with just speaking with them and that's really to act as an escalation point for them to to give guidance I would say um you know ultimately everybody's pretty autonomous in what they have responsibility for so that's a big part of what I do then the other element though is around our stakeholder engagement so um speaking to leaders from EY um instigating behavior change encouraging them to do things differently we ultimately have significant quantitative value to deliver. We call it quantitative value. Others may know it as savings. Um, we also have brand value as well. And so making sure that we deliver that each year to the targets that we have, obviously, is really key for us. And the only way we can really do that in a relatively mature program is to actually instigate the behavior changes and so getting that buy-in from our stakeholders is actually key to be able to drive that so can you give us some examples of some of those stakeholders you talked about in a large global business like this there are many but what kind of departments and leaders are you seeking to get on board so we, we deal with all levels, actually. So we may be dealing with the area managing partners, uh, and we call an area as EMEA or Asia Pac or the Americas. So we may be dealing with the, the overall person responsible there. We then break it down into a regional perspective. So MENA, as an example, is Middle East, Northern Africa. And so then we're going to be dealing with the country managing partners or the regional managing partners, we're also then dealing with the service line leaders. So from a business standpoint, a business unit is a service line for us. And then we go down to the travel arrangers as well. So we will be dealing with those too. So for us as a team, the array of stakeholders that we deal with is very, very vast. Um, we also speak to the travellers themselves. What we've actually found by doing what we call our top traveller calls, it actually helps us drive how the programme should be and how we should look to improve what it is that we do. So the behaviour changes, the cost-saving elements, um, those sort of more strategic conversations are at a more senior level, service line level. Then we get quite tactical when we're talking to travellers and the executive assistants, the travel bookers, but they're all as important as each other, actually. And um, sorry to say this for some of our key suppliers out there, but the one challenge I always set for the team is if you've got five meetings, if they're all with an internal stakeholder, that's the most important for us because that's really what drives the change that we're trying to deliver. Yeah, and that's um, sort of alarming for a supplier, isn't it, who want to schedule that review meeting to catch up and find out what the mutual opportunities are. What, what do you recommend a supplier would do to cope in a, in a fast-changing culture like that? How should they address and best help a company like EY? So I think it's interesting as to the reasons why we don't necessarily do your normal review meetings. We have a very 
mature programme. So we have long-standing relationships with our airlines, as an example. And so to sit with them and go through numbers, we don't think is the best use of either of our time. What we like to talk to them about, actually, is about how can they deliver more brand value to us from the programme, well-being of our employees, what are they doing in sustainability, what are they doing in the innovation space. We have innovation as in everything that we do and ultimately we want our suppliers to have that same mentality certainly all the airlines car rental rail hotels have innovation teams within their own functions and so actually we get the most pleasure when we have the opportunity to meet and brainstorm with those people as well as of course our account directors etc but that would be the way that would really open our eyes more and have people come in more often than if we just talk about numbers. Do you find that uh, suppliers get that and are working well within that culture and, you know, protecting the names of the innocent, I guess, but are there any that still need to work to get to that level? I think there's many that still need to work to get to that level because they're driven by the industry and what others in the industry expect. Um, And that's not wrong or right. It's just how it is. I think just for us and where we are in what's expected internally of us, we need to be looking at things differently and challenging EY as an organisation sells innovation and if we can't behave that way ourselves then we're actually failing our internal stakeholders and so you know one of the the things that we've become fairly noted for is the fact that we engage with disruptors we look at the startups out there and we're probably early adopters of many and a lot of that is because of the fact that's what's expected of of us as a function and the fact that EY supports startups as well, we want to be seen to be doing that too. And back to your point about internal stakeholder engagement, that must help you because as a company you're trying to always help other businesses to improve and make changes. So does that help you get stakeholders on board internally when you're trying to do things differently? It exactly does. I think, you know, one of the things that I've certainly learned is that if you can relate to a service line and what they do with their clients, and then we talk to how we're doing things that goes along that same philosophy, then they want to speak to us. If we just want to talk to them about a seat pitch as an example or if you want to talk to them about the number of flights that they are they have to a particular destination or how far in advance they would book they're not going to open the door to us at that point they will open the door to us though if we talk about how we use robotics or how we use machine learning and then we can cover all those other things that we want to cover but we make sure the agenda is linked to their agenda first so that we build that relationship And I think what's interesting, uh, several of us in the team, and I know I've said this before, have come from sales. But but the one thing that we've said now is about working here internally with our stakeholders is like being salespeople on steroids. Because socialisation and getting people to buy into what it is that we're trying to deliver and what we want to achieve really takes up most of our time. I think it's quite well known that you have quite a young sales force at EY. Was well, it 20, 27, 28 on average years old? What kind of ways do you communicate with those travellers in such a fast-moving environment? Yeah, 27. Um, and hence why I didn't say when I actually started my career, because I actually think it's probably longer than that average age, unfortunately. <laughs> so how we've actually tried to e- engage with them, we have Yammer, which is like an 
it's like a Facebook, but a corporate Facebook. So we use Yammer extensively. We've also implemented tools that's been using machine learning, AI. So for example, EY Lobby, which is our own internal TripAdvisor tool. We actually have 5,000 what we call younger-minded travellers on a list. The reality is, is they're all millennials that we have on this list. But we actually engage with them to find out what is it that they would like us to do for them what is it that they would like us to deliver? And so, as an example, the EY lobby, which was the internal trip advisor, was something that we sought their feedback on when we were implementing this. And so we've had huge success. It's been in place now for 18 months. And we've had nearly 60,000 reviews completed by our employees on feedback on wow. this tool. We also use it as well to promote brand value items that we get from our hotels so when we do meet with our hotels rather than talk about numbers we talk about what else can they do for our employees that would encourage them to stay in the hotel but also would give some benefit to our employees so that's all included on our lobby tool and then last Thursday we were very excited because we launched our own internal social network tool and it's called EY Travel Buddy and um, it went live actually on Thursday evening and um, 3,000 people have already registered to use it so um, some of the team are saying that we may create our first marriage through this who knows we're really excited about this and just the general feedback Feedback that we're seeing on Yammer on the launch of this, we think this is going to be a game changer for us. And we actually have our first event this evening that we've used our EY Travel Buddy to identify who's actually in London on business travel and have invited them to come and meet with some of the travel team at a happy hour in one of our key hotel properties. Um, maybe nobody will turn up because they don't want to meet the travel team. Who knows? But I think, though, the ability for people to engage with others on business travel especially when they're traveling alone and then it's limited to EY employees, I think it's going to be huge. So we are very excited about this. That's very cool. And I've heard you say before that if something has been done the same way for a few years, it's time to change it. I think you say two years, it's time to rip it up and start again. I mean, you need a lot of energy to work in this EY travel team, but how does that ethos sort of come to play every day at work? Um, I think, you know, we've... We're very fortunate with the access that we get internally with brains that just know about innovation, AI, machine learning, and all of those sort of things. And the fact as well that we have World Entrepreneur of the Year, which looks at entrepreneurs. We've got other areas that look at startups. So there is a, a general ethos within EY that you look at things differently, that you challenge the status quo. We adopted this because we wanted to be able to gather more traction internally and actually though we've got a lot of people that have been in our team now for quite some time and I think what I want to make sure is that I have a team that's motivated and how you keep people motivated is they do different things and so maybe two years is probably too short a time to be changing things but I would say every three to four years if we've been doing things the same then we will throw it up in the air and see whether we can do it differently. It may not be that we change it, but at least we investigate to see if there is an opportunity. And I think what that's done is brought this entrepreneurial mindset across the team so that they are looking at how can they do things differently. And recently, we've just been doing our own podcasts and um, WebEx around giving everybody a better understanding of robotics, a better understanding of machine learning, so that then... 
people have more knowledge and then they can understand how they can adapt these new technologies to the things that we do. The reality is, is that travel, meetings and events is highly transactional and you can keep it the status quo or you can look at it differently to bring those behaviour changes and that's exactly what we're doing and the whole team gets it. I think um, Hotel RFP might be an example of that. It's quite well publicised. What have you got against RFPs anyway, Karen? <laughs> I, I need to be careful what I say here because I report into procurement. <laughs> However, um, I think when you've got a mature programme, we know who our key suppliers are, who we want to work with. We already know that without having to go to an RFP. So then when we do actually go for a renewal or a renegotiation we're incorporating many other things. I think for us, the rate is the business as usual. It's whatever else that we can deliver to the programme that becomes the negotiation point. I think from a hotel perspective, basically we had 2.5 people spending six months of the year looking at a hotel programme that would give us 1,500 preferred rates. By turning it around and how we've done it now, they spend probably three months a year to get 32,000 EY rates. And I think those numbers just speak volumes on their own. And that's why we did it. Their roles have become much more meaningful in the fact that they're talking about other things with hotels versus just what the rate is. And I think that's the important thing. Again, it's not for everybody. And I think there's always going to be traditional players out there that like to keep things as it is. We're our third year in now, though, and we have seen our average rates come down each year. And so as a result of that, we have no reason to change it because our employees are happy because they get much more choice, 1,500 hotels to 32,000 to choose from. But also the rates are coming down as well. And so really, we can't ask for anything more. Sounds good. So bringing it back full circle a little bit, obviously, EY is a huge, complex, but it's a very large programme. Thinking about how the, uh, the smaller budget travel buyer can apply some of this practice, what would you suggest a, a buyer maybe coming into the role or with perhaps a smaller, less mature programme? What are the sort of things you should focus on? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the guiding principles of any travel programme is the same. And when you come into somewhere new, um, if it's not a mature programme, there's some basic things you need to look at, first of all. One is, what is the policy? Is there a policy? Now there tends to be an expense policy. Often there is not a meetings and events policy. So get the policy in place. Because once you've got the policy in place, you've got something to hang on to. And that doesn't matter whether you're a £100,000 spend or a billion pounds spend. It really makes no difference. The principles are the same. Then it's around the agency that you use, consolidating through an agency so that then you're able to get data. Once you're able to get data, then you can start to influence things. And I think, you know, irrespective, like I say, of size, those principles need to be thought about at the start. And then you need to think about, you know, how many people do you need to support the program? I think often at the start, travel is put as an add-on to many other things. And actually, though, if you manage the program in a way that it should be managed, there's so much more that you can deliver versus if you just have it clubbed with everything else because the influence is so significant if you can change behaviour. Whereas when you negotiate for stationery or laptops, 
the price is the price and the item is the item. There are so many outside factors that influence meetings and events and travel that one person could have a huge difference on what that may look like. And so I think um, whether it be big or small, that principle still applies. And so I think stakeholder engagement, just the same, is important as well to influence that change. Because whatever size company you are, T&E will be third or fourth expenditure or maybe higher across the organisation. And I think that on its own warrants the focus that there should be irrespective of size um, and I know that elevating the role of the travel professional in the in the company is something you're very passionate about and you, you've, you've talked a lot about and at conference and we'll talk about that in part two of this podcast but for now I want to say a big thank you to Karen for your time I could talk to you all day so I'm going to thank you thank you